Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hello! And today we are joined by our friend, Ryan. Hello. Today we're talking about us and just what a great talent Jordan Peele is. So spoiler alert for us and Get Out. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So, Ryan, uh, thanks for coming on the show. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Honestly, uh, yeah. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We talked about having you on... Multiple times. Multiple times over the course of, like, six months. Yeah, I have one of those pesky job things that just keeps getting in the way. (laughs) Wow. Wait, you what? (laughs) I don't don't know what I was thinking, honestly. That was a silly mistake on your part. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So speaking of that pesky job, do you think mm-hmm. you can uh, maybe introduce yourself, let our listeners know a little bit about who you are? Um, well, I'm Joe. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> Is this the movie? Are we going to know? Well, as, like Joe said, I'm Ryan. Um, I went to school with Alex and Joe. Um, I was a production major there, but uh, that hasn't worked out super well so far. So I'm currently working at Home Depot just to pay the bills. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm a fun guy, I like to say. Nice. A fun guy? Yeah, a little bit, I oh, hope. I don't know. Like a tiny little mushroom. Yum, yum. <laughs> so, Ryan, do you think there's anything interesting that's happened recently that uh, would make a good story for the podcast? Um, well, I went to go see Us, so that was one thing nice. that definitely happened to me recently. And I, I'm just someone who doesn't like see movies in the theaters all that much. I'm the worst. I wait for them to be free online, and then I go and oh. watch them in my room alone. Oh. Yeah. So when you go to the movies, do you normally go alone? or See, I'm not in the business of seeing movies alone, but I yeah. really had to talk my sister into going with me. She didn't want to see it? Uh, well, it just isn't something that's like up her alley. Uh, she thought it was a black movie, and for audio listeners, I did air quotes. So I... um. Told her I'd buy her pretzel bites, and I spent $30 on snacks. All I had was a soda, for reference. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so was it like twenty nine ninety nine pretzel bites and then like a dollar soda? It was like soda? a $5 soda, because they apparently only had regular and large, which uh, I said medium. I felt like I was at Starbucks the entire time. <laughs> it was the worst. Last time I was at the movies, I ordered a large, and the person I was with was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then the person brought it out, and it was like the size of my forearm. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I totally miscalculated. <laughs> uh, <laughs> give me the smallest cup you have. Yesterday, I was in the city, and Steph, who's been on the podcast, um, got pretty upset when we went to get pizza. We ordered three slices of pizza, and it cost $20. Really? Wow. And we we were very put off by that situation. Yeah, that's a lot for a yeah. slice of pizza. Yeah, we weren't at the movies. It was just in the city. But that's the, how big were the slices? Were they just like regular? They were just regular, and I know you can get 99 cent slices in the city yeah. as well. So I don't know why we chose there, but we didn't even notice until like our slices got heated up. So we were like, well, shit. <laughs> Did they charge you for, like, heating them up? Or just... you? Actually, that, that's a great question. If we had gotten it cold, I don't know yeah. if uh, we could have gotten it for cheap. I, I think you'll have to go back there and yeah. do, some, do some research. <laughs> okay. I don't know what it is about, like, getting slices of pizza. But, like, it always seems like when I get a medium or a small pizza, even just for myself, like, I have to eat the whole thing. But with slices one slice and like it's a meal and I'm good till like the next morning like that's dinner that's everything you know that's interesting I I don't know why I always feel I need at least two even if I know I don't I feel like I do I have a very similar like when I was in high school going through puberty running track like I could eat four slices of pizza Mm -hmm. and now I can eat one and stop and I keep not. I keep, I'm like, well, let me get that second slice. And I don't know why I do this to myself. It's <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, intellectually, I know I'm full, but <laughs> I just can't stop. No, yeah, like halfway through an extra large cheese pizza, I'm like, okay, I should be stopping, but I'm not going to. It's more just like what's presented versus like, I think, what my body wants to intake. I don't know. Yeah. 
It's just one of those, like, oh, I see that it's there, and so I need to eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ryan, before we make a whole episode about pizza, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that you can give us a little synopsis of the movie Us? Um, so the movie Us is about a family that goes to their vacation home to try and, like, get away for a little while over the summer. And they ended up being confronted by their doppelgangers, uh, exact kind of copies of themselves in a way. And it uh, gets kind of crazy from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it mm-hmm. does. Um, I am personally not a big fan of horror but I'm a huge fan of Jordan Peele. Yeah. And so I was very willing to watch this. Um, and I'd love it if we could uh, just go around and uh, rate it. Um, I want to start this new segment <laughs> where we rate it as audience members and then rate it as critics. Because I think if we look back at the Boondock Saints episode, um, I would have rated that as probably a two as a critic. Um, but then I did enjoy it and I said three but really my opinion was a four and so i think if we break it up a little bit it'll give us a more clear indication of what we liked about it Mm -hmm. so ryan do you want to start us off with our audience rating yeah um i'm a big fan of jordan peele and i like horror movies in general so i think as an audience member i'd probably rate it about four four and a half out of five nice nice he he um appeased both of us because he gave Alex a full star and then me a half star. So I think that's why he gave that kind of range. Yeah, Ryan hasn't mentioned this, but he, he is a long-time listener, first-time uh, guest. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I forgot to mention that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah people often forget to mention that they're actual fans. They're a little embarrassed about <laughs> yeah, it. Oh. Like, I don't want to seem like a... <laughs> I got here today and I was like freaking out a little bit. I'm like, oh my God, it's really you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as an audience member, I'd actually give this movie three stars. Um, The only reason for that is because horror is not my type of genre. I get scared. I then have nightmares. I have trouble sleeping. And it's not something that I like to put on myself. But... Normally, I give horror films like a one or a two. So the reason this was a three, even from an audience perspective, is that the fear that they induced in me was from like suspense and is and it was situational. They didn't use my senses against me and they didn't like use jump scares um, to make me afraid. Like it, when movies do that, it feels like an older brother making fun of you for flinching when they throw like their fist at you. Oh, you flinched. Like, duh, that's like a natural instinct. Like, back off. <laughs> that means I'm, like, gonna survive longer than you because I <laughs> I respond to stimuli. <laughs> um, yeah, horror isn't my go-to genre. Um, I think because a lot of it is jump scares nowadays. But I can still appreciate a good horror movie. And this, I felt, was a great horror movie. And so, from an audience score... I'm giving it five stars Um, because in the theater and still two days after seeing it, I can't stop thinking about this movie. Like, I'm dissecting it in my head. I'm just thinking like, oh my God, that scene was so good. And so I think that just means like this is truly like one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I can definitely agree. That's a great sense of whether or not it's a good movie. For me, during the movie, I'm turning to the people next to me to see their reaction. That means I care about what's happening. Like yeah. I'm like, oh my god, I felt this. Did the person next to me feel that? Did the person next to me on the other side feel that? And like that's how I know if I'm having a good time. Yeah. And I wasn't having a good time, <laughs> but I was doing that. <laughs> And so now I think we can go around and give our critic scores, and we can just go in the same order, I think. Um, In terms of critic score, I might, controversial opinion, have to knock it down about like a half a star and give it like three and a half, four. And that's only because a lot of stuff with like info dumps, stuff like that, that I wouldn't be a fan of in other films worked in this film, but also like... There might have been other ways around it that a critic might think, like, okay, he could have done this differently. Um, Not a huge deduction, but it's just something that I'm thinking about, like, as a critic, in a way. Um, Where would they have scored it? So, yeah, three and a half, four range. Um, 
Uh, for me, the rating would go up as a critic. Um, there were many artistic choices that I felt Jordan Peele was making. He is clearly a genius, like hands down. He can write a story, he can direct a story, he can produce a story, and he doesn't come off the way Bradley Cooper does in uh, A Star is Born, <laughs> where he's like, hey, uh, you know I directed it too, right? <laughs> I actually don't know if he actually does that, but I did see a Saturday Night Live skit of that. And so um, hopefully I'm not criticizing Bradley Cooper for no reason. Um, But my rating would go up to about a four. I wouldn't give it all of the five stars as badly as I want to um, for two major reasons that I really just want to get into later because I want to keep it a secret. Ooh, mysterious. Um, my critic score is going to stay the same. I'm going to give it a five-star critic rating. Uh, again, I just think a lot of the reasons you brought up, Alex, of, like, the artistic choices, I think this movie is shot really, really well. There's a lot of great tricks with lighting, and the story's fantastic. All the actors are really, really great in it, even the, um, child actors. And so, yeah, I think, aside from how I enjoyed it as an audience member, I think even looking at it through a critical lens, I'm like, I can think of maybe one or two things that I didn't like about it, and they're very nitpicky. And so I think this is one of those movies that a five-star rating is reserved for. Okay. I definitely agree that my reservations are nitpicky, Mm -hmm. but because of the genre of horror, I kind of think, like, they're important. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall... Absolutely. I loved it. The storytelling was great. There were a lot of sort of Easter eggs sprinkled throughout that hinted to the ending, uh, that hinted to the themes of the movie, that definitely Jordan Peele created something so that people would have to watch it more than once. And I think those are the types of stories that I like to watch, like Arrested Development. I know it's a it's a comedy I think Jordan Peele uses his comedic talents to input into this horror because he puts in references that it's like, oh, now that you know the ending, go back and watch it and you're going to love it even more. Mm -hmm. And I think Jordan Peele is just really good at making every shot, like every second of this movie count. Mm -hmm. And it does make you want to go back and like find everything, like every little detail like you're reading about or just like thinking about like stuff you won't pick up until a second viewing because it just kind of passes you by or it's like something really small in like the corner of the shot um and it all comes back to the ending and like Mm -hmm. it makes sense in the end yeah um once the doppelgangers or as they're called in the movie the tethered show up um i was really stressed out and i had to watch a couple scenes like through my fingers but before that i was scanning every inch of the screen like what did he put in here like what messages am i supposed to get out um yeah and uh, similarly the the movie yeah was definitely broken up into pre-scary and then scary mm-hmm. and i was engaged throughout the entire non-scary portion mostly to look for easter eggs but also it was just Their acting was great. There was storytelling. We were getting to know the characters. But every little thing, I would also be like, that's going to come up in the third act. That's going to come up in the third act. And (laughs) I felt uh, excited. It was like uh, my... My improv knowledge or, like, my my concepts of storytelling and full-circle storytelling, like, make me feel smart. And Mm -hmm. that's... I want a movie to make me feel smart. Yeah, and I think Jordan Peele has that improv comedy background, and so I think he's really, really taking into account a full story, a full circle storytelling point of view, Um, and it really pays off in this and in Get Out. Yeah, um, one aspect that I loved in Get Out and in Us was within the storytelling, as the audience member, I started asking these what-if questions or, like, why is that the case, And just around the same time I was asking those questions, the characters in the movie started asking those questions. Um, And the biggest example that came to mind was when the police never showed up. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, did the police just never show up because it's a horror film and they, like, couldn't be helped? Um, And then when I saw the tethered of another family, because I thought the whole movie was going to be about the tethered from just the uh, African-American family, I'm like, wait, how many more doppelgangers are there? 
And that's when they answer both questions. Like almost immediately, one of the characters says, wait, how big is this? And like they turn on the news Mm -hmm. and it's literally all across America. There are tethered people. And even with those stakes, we can still care about the small stakes of this family. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, that was definitely something kind of not jumping to the end, but just in theory, if the family gets away, the world's kind of over. Like, like what kind of happy ending is that? Like, yeah, everybody lives, but they're going to have to basically fight for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of those kind of like, oh, holy shit, kind of storytellings. And I, I really liked it. And um, one thing I've kind of noticed with like a lot of modern, like kind of these catastrophe films almost, when it goes to a larger scale than just this specific area, it's hard to care about the main characters and the people you're supposed to be focusing on. Um, And that's just one thing I really liked about this movie, that even though they were like, okay, this is everywhere. And like you said, Joe, no matter what happens, we like they're going to have to be fighting for the rest of their life and nothing's ever going to really be the same. Mm -hmm. We're still able to kind of care about them where if it was like really focused on everything, it's like, okay, they got away. Too bad, like... You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not going to be the same feeling. Like, I really felt for them at the end when it was like, okay, but now what are they going to have to face, you know? Yeah, and I think that's a nod to the acting as well as to the character arcs. Every single character um, within this immediate family had a story to tell, had something to overcome, and it was all very worthwhile. I was invested in each one. Yeah. While you guys are talking about, like, other movies, it just had me remember something I really specifically liked that I think other horror movies lose. So Winston Duke, uh, the husband of the family, gets hit in the leg with a baseball bat um, at least once. I think it happens maybe twice. And for the whole movie, he's walking with a limp. I feel like in a lot of especially horror movies, it's like you get wailed with the bat, the next five minutes of movie you're in, you limp. And then for the rest of the movie, you're fine. So I liked how real the movie felt because there were consequences to what was happening. Right. And even with the limp, it was definitely a way to sort of restrict the family. But he still successfully accomplished a lot. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like we're just doing this to make it easier for the monsters to win. Yeah. It also raised the stakes a lot in different scenes. Um, I remember specifically at one point, the mom, Lupita, goes into a house and the kids are outside, like, making sure their father can, like, stand. So Mm -hmm. it's the injury kind of gives you a reason to separate the characters and raise the stakes in that sense. Whereas in any other movie, it would have just been like, well, why are three of them staying back and sending one in alone? That's stupid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I do love one aspect of this movie is that the the wife and the mom is the main character. Lupita yeah. is the main character and Winston is the comedic relief. And like he is the one who doesn't get it. He's like, yeah. what's happening here? You can take our wallet. And like the uh-huh. daughter is like, they're not here for our money. What's unclear about this yeah. situation, Dad? <laughs> oh my gosh! When can we talk about that scene when the tethered finally reveal themselves and like home invade uh, the summer home? That scene had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. It is so intense and like suspenseful and scary, but it's. When it, eventually it gets to a point where it's just two families sitting across from each other and you're still like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I'm so I'm so stressed out. <laughs> yeah. Red, who was Lupita's uh, tethered, was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she had this like croak in her voice when she started talking, um, almost like she had never talked before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was clear that the wife, Adelaide, was like okay, we just have to accept this in stride until we can find a way to get away. Whereas each family member had a different reaction. Like, the two kids were clearly scared, um, and then the husband was like, again, just take our money. We yeah. we don't want any trouble. <laughs> um, and like Joe said, that sequence in and of itself was very stressful and tense, starting from when the tethered showed up outside their house to 
when it kind of all broke down and they all ended up getting separated in various ways. And I think going back a little bit to the comedic relief, the dad really ended up breaking that up well. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if it was just all stress for that whole, I don't even know how long it was, it would have been a bit too much. Whereas, like, the dad goes outside, it's stressful, he comes back in, he's like, okay, maybe we should call the cops. And, like, there's that little yeah. bit there, his whole thing outside with, like, if you want to get crazy, we could. Like, mm-hmm. He had serious BDE, big dad energy. Mm-hmm. He, like, the hands on the hips, like, when he's talking, like. And he was great. And throughout, it was kind of like, even though, um, like we said, uh, Lupita uh, is the main character, seeing Winston Duke, a lot of it was like, yeah, like, if my dad was in a horror movie, I feel like this is how things would go down. (laughs) Yeah, I was a huge fan of the comedic relief, not only because I needed it, (laughs) um, but because... They weren't zingers. It wasn't um, It wasn't Jordan Peele going, oh, they're all really tense. Let me write in something to make them relax again. That way I can build up the suspense again. It was almost like here's an opportunity for the family to react realistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, the relief of their, re- of their like acting just like a family, although they aren't zingers, are going to be enough to make people laugh. Uh, one of my favorite lines is when, is after they kill all of the white family tethered, um, and they're getting into the car and they're tallying their kill count to like mm-hmm. justify who gets to drive. And uh, Winston, the husband, says like, "Well, I killed two myself and Josh." So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's very like dad about it like don't forget who's dad because he's like okay so one 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 two (laughs) and like alex said it was all very like natural relatable kind of like family humor Mm -hmm. and i also like how they established that from the beginning even before like stuff started popping off the dad jokes just here and there and like Mm -hmm. the whole thing with the boat you could kind of see like the comedy with this family, like how they all interacted, and that didn't really change. It just kind of adjusted when things started happening. I agree, because because even before the scary stuff happened, they had those rifts with each other, where the son was like, "Kiss my anus," and they were like, "Whoa, oh, why'd you do that?" And he was like, "Well, because the other word is a curse word. I really would have preferred you cursed. This is so much worse." <laughs> Yeah, and so speaking of that, I think that those riffs and everything we see pre-scary is just so well set up. And I think when we talk about our broader topic, uh, we can get a lot more into the setup, the payoff, the symbolism, and maybe a little bit more plot-specific stuff. So for the first time ever, we're going to take a break And we'll be right back after these messages. Hey, Joe, why did we take a break? Well, Alex, we are opening our podcast up to sponsors. If you have a good or service that you'd like to advertise on our show, we're going to have this time slot open for you. And so we'll run your commercial. But Joe, we, we don't have any of goods and services that care about us. So until then, we're going to take this time to advertise ourselves. Ooh, that's a great idea. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at two underscore bald men. And you can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. We want to keep the show free for you guys, so we don't have a Patreon, we're not behind a paywall, and so the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review on any of our platforms. Now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Boy, I don't know about you guys, but I am so ready to go out and purchase some of those goods and services. Yep, those goods and services that we got paid to endorse. Yum, yum. So, Ryan, we're going to talk a little bit more about Jordan Peele in this half of the show. And so we were wondering um, if you could talk to us a little bit about what your first exposure to Jordan Peele was. Um, Well, I 
was never someone who really watched a lot of TV, so I guess my first exposure to Peel was the A.A. Ron sketch mm. um, from Key and Peel, and then that was just something I started watching. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't a huge, huge fan. I mean, like, in the sense that I just didn't watch it, like, regularly mm-hmm. all that much. Um, when he did say he was going to do, like, a horror movie with Get Out, my mind was kind of, like, bent, I guess you could say. I didn't I didn't know what was going on with that. But, it, I mean, obviously, second horror movie, both of them turned out great. So, but, yeah, um, before either of them, I didn't really know all that much, so... Yeah, Pleasantly. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of the A. Aaron sketch, I guess the substitute sketch, he's the only one who, like, in the back goes present. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, um, I guess, exposed to this type of reality, to the the one that the substitute lived in as well. Yeah. Um, and just I just want to really quick talk about that sketch because um, the format is pretty amusing in terms of again a comedic sketch. They set up a pattern. Basically, it isn't until the third time that we, as the audience, solidify, oh, I get what's going on here. He's mispronouncing names to make them sound like, quote-unquote, inner-city names, because that's what he's used to. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that happens to me when I watch comedic sketches is I start thinking about man, this is great, but how are they going to conclude it? Like, mm-hmm. it's like they, I have this idea and they're running with it and they beat the game to death and how are they going to end it? And I thought that having one kid be comfortable being called um, that that different pronunciation. I believe it's uh, Timothy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Was just like a perfect <laughs> bow on the gift. Mm-hmm. And they actually flipped that sketch on its head in the East-West Bowl. Which is where they uh, peel and key. I don't know why I flipped them. <laughs> key and peel flip back and forth as different characters, and they're both um, college football players. And their names get more and more ridiculous to where it's like Hingle McCringleberry, and then someone's name is just like uh, like a dolphin noise. <laughs> and then, like you said, like how do they how are they going to top this? And then at the end, it's just a white player, and he's like Dan Smith. <laughs> Um, but I do think so, so Jordan Peele, as far as like television, like I started seeing him on mad TV. Um, and I saw sketches where he was, I guess, just another actor. Mm -hmm. Like he, to me, didn't jump out too much. Um, when he had key and Peele and it was a very similar format to the Chappelle show, I was definitely like into like, okay, I hope they hit on like the type of humor that Dave Chappelle also hit on. Um, and then you sort of see key branch out into being a performer in other aspects. And then Jordan Peele takes a step back and goes behind the scenes. And Mm -hmm. that's when I was like, oh, he, he has something to offer. Um, prior to that, I kind of just thought he was another performer. Yeah, um, I think I have the same as you guys. Like, I didn't really watch Mad TV all that often, so I didn't really see him on it. And then even the sketches I did see, like you said, Alex, he didn't really jump out. And then when Key and Peele came out, I'd watch the skits on YouTube, but, like, I never, like, watched the show religiously. And then when the, when Get Out was announced, I was like... Jordan Peele from from Key, the comedian? Like, he's writing a a horror movie? All right, let's, like, see how it is. And then it was great. Yeah, (laughs) it absolutely was. And I think um, I'd love to compare Get Out versus Us. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely in terms of, like, which one do you prefer? But also, what do they have in common? And um, how are they different? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think off the bat, I uh, enjoyed Us more. Um, it's been a while since I've seen Get Out, so I don't know if I can like do that kind of critical differences like we did with our ratings. But I think if given the choice of which one I would want to watch again, I'd probably want to watch Us. Um, but again, Get Out's great. What they have in common, I think, is just all these subtle clues and hints throughout the movie that once you get to the end, if you watch the movie again, you can pick up and be like, oh, that's what that meant. Like, now I get it. Um, I definitely liked Us better as well. Um, in terms of Peel being, like, a horror movie director, I did see more of, like, his, 
like we were talking about before, his comedic background come through. And I just think more of him in general, like watching him in interviews and stuff. I feel like as much as Get Out was amazing movie, he did kind of play it safe as his first foray into the horror genre and directing as a whole. But yeah, no, he definitely went all out with us and it paid off in a big way. And I would definitely rather watch Us again over Get Out if I had to make the choice. If not, I'd watch them both back to back. (laughs) Why are you making us choose? (laughs) Stop fighting your brothers. (laughs) Um, I would say that I prefer Get Out. I think a huge part of that is just that Get Out was more of a thriller, um, Mm -hmm. whereas... Us was a full-on horror. He really, like, buckled down on that. And that uh, differentiation between thriller and horror is not one that I made as a kid growing up. Um, But we have referenced that, like, the different types of scary movies. Um, I think the first one was Happy Death Day. Then we talked about Would You Rather. Uh, We also talked about A Quiet Place. And um, I think we talked about Spooky Buddies as well. Mm Um, And so all of those very scary uh, movies really, I guess, opened my eyes to the different types of horror that there are Mm -hmm. or scary. And overall, Thriller is definitely my favorite. Um, Get Out had that social commentary much more forcefully, um, whereas I think Us had a theme and had a message to tell, but it focused a lot more on the horror. And I think more people like that, but for me it almost felt like, alright what's the symbolism here? Let me, I felt like I was in an English class, which sometimes I like, and sometimes I don't, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure I could watch Us again and maybe like it more. I do feel like I remember when Us was first announced, Jordan Peele maybe did an interview where someone was like, oh, what's the big social issue that you're going to like tackle and make commentary about in this movie? And he was like, they're all not going to be like that. Like, this one's just kind of going to be more of like a, you know, quote-unquote regular movie. Like, obviously it's going to have social commentary and those elements, but it's not going to be like Get Out, where that was literally the point. Um, right. I believe he said. I might be mistaken. <laughs> I think the kind of big hook to Jordan Peele's style and, like, the way he makes his movies is it's kind of like the horror of reality. So Mm -hmm. as much as the universe that the film is set in is not solely based in reality, um, it does tackle some kind of real issues. I remember watching Get Out and just feeling uncomfortable almost and, like, anxious in the way they kind of, like, portrayed that in-between phase where he's just kind of floating in nothing and it was, like, almost relatable in a way. Um, and, yeah, I th- and I think they, they sort of, in both movies, transition from base reality to the horror reality mm-hmm. so smoothly mm-hmm. that it's believable. Like, um, in Get Out, he they get pulled over by the police, and the police is uh, very, there's a little, like, couple of microaggressions, and there's a, a form of racism where you're, you're asking for this guy's license who wasn't even driving. Um, and then, like, you sort of see that expand and expand as you see more into the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with us, um, since it's come out, I've kind of looked up different um, articles and stuff on it. And one of the big criticisms was how much this idea of, like, social class almost kind of expanded into various different social issues that they talked about. But they did the same thing with Get Out. And in both, it was very natural and just fit with the general pacing of the movie so you didn't even really notice it yeah and i think that's what i like so much about the movie is that you start in a base reality and everything like makes sense i mentioned before with the limp like everything feels very real even though you're in this heightened reality um there's not a huge suspension of disbelief even though there's this whole like underground society of like rabid clone people right yeah and um i would say that a a big aspect of that most likely um based on my two examples that i have are his comedic background Mm -hmm. i think when um john krasinski wrote a quiet place 
he had that comedic background to be a good storyteller. I think comedy really structures what makes a good beginning, middle, and end so perfectly. And it's simple, but not easy to accomplish. And so John Krasinski's movie had a great full circle storytelling that's very satisfying. Mm -hmm. And I think applying that comedic storytelling into other genres, it's what really makes those stories pop to me when it's outside of the comedic uh, genre. Mm -hmm. And while we're on, uh, like, kind of comparing all these movies, I think, especially, like, kind of more recently, like, horror kind of had its heyday in the 80s, and now it's kind of just, like, this forgotten genre. But I think that's because when directors and writers set out to make a horror movie, they say, okay, how do I make this scary? Instead of, how do I tell a good story? And so I think that becomes, like, when someone's talking about how much they like a horror movie, they're like, oh, it scared me so much. And it's like, okay, well, if I'm not scared of it, will I still think it's a good movie? And I think that's a question a lot of people don't bother answering when they're making a movie. But, like, John Krasinski and Jordan Peele especially, I think they're like, yeah, I'm just going to tell a really cool story and it's going to happen to be a horror movie. Mm. I've I've kind of found something similar with uh, one of my favorite directors, Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would never classify anything he's really done as a horror movie, but he definitely draws on some horror kind of elements. Um, but really, with his movies, you can see he goes in and he's like, how do I tell this story? Rather than how do I make this like fit in this scenario or like bring in these elements? Right. <laughs> and he, even with... Uh my complaint so i've had a complaint where while watching us it's almost like i spend too much time looking for the symbolism that sometimes i get pulled out of the story even without the symbolism it would all still be a good story Mm -hmm. the symbolism is kind of just like hints in case that's what you're looking for in a story that's not the focus of it um and even with the message that i think he's portraying like the big theme at the very beginning of the movie and then the tethered's goal is hands across America and trying to make a statement. And the tethered people are uh, clones. I guess Mm -hmm. she explains our government-made clones that are soulless. And they're addressed as people that are basically forgotten about. Um, And hands across America was trying to, quote-unquote, fight hunger, fight homelessness, and fight poverty... And those are the people that are often forgotten about. Mm -hmm. And so there might be a message here of like, this is a natural consequence if you keep forgetting about us. Like this this type of uprising, the French guillotine type style stuff, that's possible. It really is. Yeah. Um, And even if you don't care about that message, you can still enjoy the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like even without knowing what Hands Across America is, like just... If your first introduction to it was the beginning of the movie where they play a Hands Across America commercial, if you maybe knew Hands Across America was a thing but you didn't know what it was trying to do, just the fact that they set it up in the beginning and then like at the beginning of the third act, the family sees the tethered people and all of a sudden they're doing Hands Across America, you're gonna lose your shit because <laughs> you're like, oh my god, what a perfect movie this is. Uh, and... There were a bunch of different almost references to that line and, like, the tethered holding hands throughout the movie. Um, You'd see it in, like, news reports when they turned on TVs. Or uh, I remember there was the one scene where I think it's the daughter and the dad are getting in the ambulance. Mm -hmm. And the daughter's comment is like, oh, my God, there's the line. Like, they're so close. And there was almost this uncertainty with something like that where, yes, they're all, like, kind of paused and holding hands and... But you don't know what's going to happen. Like, you Mm -hmm. don't know if they're all going to break away. If they do see you, like, where would you come from? Did you get away? You know? So I feel like they played on the element of the line in Hands Across America well as almost another way of raising the suspense in scenes that otherwise (laughs) would have just been filler and, like, had no real suspense to them. Right. Because throughout the movie, is there, is the tethered Hands Across America anything more? Or are they going to stay still? Like, how long are they going to do this for? 
did is everyone who's on the line already successfully killed their other tethered mm-hmm. or their doppelganger. Um, like there are so many questions that they the movie lets us decide. Um, and I think that allows for some good horror. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of talked about it before with like um, the realization that like even if the family survives, the world's kind of like it's just going to be different now. The movie ends with this like sweeping pan of like landscape and as it was happening i was like oh i feel like they should have zoomed out and like we see the line and like how big the line is and like as i was saying that in my head you see the line and it's going on for like miles across these hills and i was like oh okay he he nailed it okay never mind (laughs) Uh, and going back to what alex had just said about the line and like how long are they going to stand there and everything that was the one big question I did have leaving the movie. Like, what is the end game? Because the family's life is never going to be the same. They're almost going to be fighting for the rest of their life, just kind of on the run. But what would have happened if they did complete the goal? Because at that time, Red is still the only kind of tethered we know that can speak and kind of knows what the outside world is like. They're not going to almost down to like infrastructure and like how are they going to run this world that they're now found themselves inhabiting? I think it's. I think that question's kind of the point. Um, I'm going to quote the Joker from Dark Knight, where he's like, I'm just a dog chasing cars. I don't know what I would do if I caught one. Mm-hmm. I think that if the Tethered completely succeeded and they like did their hands across America and maybe like world leaders were like, okay, what do you want? I feel like they would have been like... I don't know. I didn't really. I didn't plan that far ahead. I just. I did the. I got to hands across America, and I was like, you know what? That's perfect, and that's when I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that might be a commentary on the original hands mm-hmm. across America in the 1980s, and so many quote unquote movements of I want to accomplish something good, but I don't actually have a plan in place. I know that there are social issues, and I know that we can't ignore them any longer, and I want people to see it. And then you jump to action. But then when it finally comes time to, okay, so how do we fix them? Everyone's like, oh, uh, I was kind of just hoping to reveal the problem and you guys would do then the rest. Mm -hmm. In fact, Jordan Peele did an interview um, about Hands Across America. And he says, like, it was kind of the height of this Reagan era politics where you're just like, "If if we just smile and hold hands, we can solve all the problems. And that's a nice sentiment. But that doesn't actually fix anything. Mm-hmm. Like, acknowledging the problem is the first step. <laughs> right. And then what? Yeah. <laughs> and I think every... And then there's some sort of second step. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting back into the specifics of the movie, mm-hmm. I would love to talk about that twist ending. Oh, yes. That, God. honestly, wasn't necessary, mm-hmm. but was perfect as yeah. well. Um, I feel like a lot of twist endings, and I think, Ryan, you mentioned this, are slapped on at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong is famous for having twist endings, and that's like his gimmick. It's not because it's good. <laughs> it's because I'm M. Night Shyamalan and I have to have a twist. <laughs> right. Um, and I think... S- Although he does have good twists, not to undercut some of his great movies. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm willing to undercut all of his <laughs> great movies. The the twist in Avatar, The Last Airbender, was yeah. phenomenal. Where it turned out that it was really bad. Like <laughs> <laughs> Boy, was I surprised. <laughs> um, but Jordan Peele has been compared to M. Night, to Spielberg... And they're like, he's the new blank. But I read this article that was like, no, Jordan Peele is the first Jordan Peele. When I saw that criticism, I was like, oh, I feel like that's kind of unfair. Like, that's a normal thing to do is like to compare someone to somebody else. Then I saw us and I was like, "Okay, I get it. Yeah, he's the first Jordan Peele. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I've always had this problem kind of with claiming that someone is the next something like it happens a lot of time in sports like you're the next michael jordan and it's Mm -hmm. like no that's the first kobe bryant like everyone brings something different to the table no matter what you're doing so saying you're the next something is almost taking away from all the things that they didn't do that you do great um yeah and i think it's like um one, it puts a lot of pressure on the new, quote-unquote, and it mm-hmm. could also take away from the old. Like, 
there's a sense of I'm complimenting you, but if you don't recognize that you're also taking something away, this is your message right now. You're taking something away. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can see the influence of like all these great filmmakers in Peel's work, but he also brings a lot of new stuff to the table and a lot of stuff that kind of revitalizes the genre of horror. So to say he's like the next Shyamalan or something like that, it's not really It's a Shyamalama ding dong. Exactly, that one. It's it's a hard pronunciation. It's <laughs> But yeah, no, it's taken away from everything that he's doing great and kind of almost forcing us to look at these movies through a different lens. And if that was the case and we had watched it in that lens, we would have missed so much. Mm -hmm. So speaking of watching the movie through lenses, um, I think the reason this twist is so great is because if you know it and watch the movie again, you're like, oh, everything falls into place and clicks and really makes sense now. So... The family is together. They've all survived. They're driving, um, I guess, to Mexico because at one point Lapita says, we're going to drive down the coast into Mexico. Mm -hmm. And she has a flashback where we see the first scene again where she's a little girl. She walks through this hall of mirrors and then she runs into her doppelganger. Then we see the whole scene that we didn't get to see before. So the doppelganger strangles her and knocks her out, drags her into where the tethered live and like handcuffs her to a bed. And then her tethered self goes back up and gets reunited with her parents and then lives her life. So the reveal is the Lapita that we've been following and has now survived was the clone and read the whole movie was the original Lapita. And it blew my goddamn mind. <laughs> I I was watching it in the theaters, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Can you rewind yeah. it to those 17 different scenes where I had a question, and now they are all answered? <laughs> Just please, real quick. <laughs> and I think the great thing about like thinking about the film like that, where you have to go back and watch it to almost find everything that pointed at it, as soon as you see the twist, or as soon as I saw the twist, rather, my mind went back through everything that mm -hmm. I had seen and picked out pieces, but I'm still finding them, even though I haven't seen the film through a second time, just talking about it. Uh, Joe mentioned how um, she was handcuffed when she was originally kind of kidnapped. Mm -hmm. In the initial encounter, I never thought it made sense to handcuff the mom to the coffee table, and now just even talking about it right now, I'm like, that does make sense. It's almost a form of retribution, like yeah. payback. Like, you handcuffed me to this bed and kind of left me there. Now I'm going to separate you from everyone you love, and we're mm -hmm. going to finish this. Right. Out of um, all of the tethered people, Red is the only one who can talk. Mm -hmm. She has a very hard time talking, but everyone else has this gurgling call. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, well, why is Red the only one who can talk? I guess because Lupita's the main character. Uh, but then that's not why. Yeah. And she has this, like, ghastly, gross voice. And at first you're like, oh, that's just how they talk, I guess. But then you're like, oh, no, her windpipe got crushed because she got strangled when she was a little kid. Mm -hmm. um, while we're on, like, the like looking back at the movie thing, so I don't want to brag, but I kind of suspected that twist. In the in one of the first scenes, we see young Lapita in a therapy office, and her parents are talking to the therapist, and her dad's like, how do we get her to talk? And I leaned to the person I was in the movie with, and I was like, I think that's the doppelganger. And she turned to me and was just like, no. And I was like, you know what, you're probably right. And throughout the whole movie, the movie convinced me, Joe, that was a stupid thing to think. <laughs> and then they reveal it, and then you look back and you're like, wow, it's like things make more sense, but it's not like the movie didn't make sense without that twist. Yeah, there were definitely moments of like, oh, you probably did that because it's a horror film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you watch it again, and it's like, oh, you had every reason to do that like because this is in your nature. Um, multiple times when Lupita killed, she got this like animalistic energy to her that sort of 
I thought was a sentiment of, wow, we're not so different, you and I. Like, the tethered people and the originals are actually animals all the way deep down. And only one group got the privilege of being raised in a society and the other ones did not. But it's more than that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could still have that message, but... Can I amend uh, what I just said a little bit? So when I say I suspected the twist, so I thought the young Lapita in the psychologist's office was the doppelganger, but I thought it was more so the two young... Like the clones see each other and they're just like, oh, like let's switch places. Like that's fun. And then eventually switched back. I didn't suspect this twist where the Lapita that we've been following the whole movie was really the clone the whole time because I'm not that smart. I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. <laughs> All right, everyone, you heard it here. Joe's right, not, not that, that smart. smart. <laughs> Um, one thing I really noticed about these the doppelgangers and like the tethered is they kind of exemplified either one negative quality about a character or something they didn't like about themselves. Um, right. I actually, like, I already know sort of where you're going, but mm -hmm. my interpretation was, like, some sort of gift that they were given that they didn't uh, optimize. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of the daughter, Zora, mm -hmm. and her tethered was a very good athlete. Whereas Zora was, like, tired of being an athlete and didn't really care about track and field. Mm -hmm. And I think a big question that can kind of raise is, like, what's um, Red versus Adelaide, the two characters that Lupita plays. How is Red kind of bringing out that, like, a negative quality or something in that way when she was the original? But I, looking back on it, I kind of see this kind of almost a struggle for um, Adelaide to remain the same and she's kind of fighting against going back whereas red has always been fighting to get back to where she was mm -hmm. so it's kind of a mirror image in that sense one's fighting to get where they were where the other doesn't want to go back right mm -hmm. yeah and i definitely see a lot of aspects in the actual tethered lupita who was played as the mom she had moments of for me, like, I guess disbelief, like, why did you get out of the car? Why did you have a hard time with uh, killing this person or that person? And it was, to me, a message of, I was once a tethered, and I, quote unquote, got saved. Mm -hmm. And then I abandoned the rest of the tethered. Um, and it's almost like uh, forgetting your roots or just not feeling like you have the strength to save everyone from your roots. So you just save yourself. So I think there was guilt in her when she mm -hmm. when she was like sympathizing with uh, Pluto, which was the, the boys tethered or when she went in to check in whether they killed the daughter when they ran her down. Um, <laughs> it was kind of like, I feel bad. Mm hmm. And there's this over kind of overarching theme of we're not in control of ourselves. Um, they do say the tethered were created to kind of control humanity um, and the population and everything. So I think some of her hesitation with like Pluto and um, the tethered daughter and everything is her kind of thinking, well, I could have easily been your mother, like not just in the sense that you're a clone of my daughter, in the sense that I could have been where Red is. I could have been kind of, I don't know if they established the idea of Tethered being married, but like I could have been with Abraham and you could have been my actual child rather than just someone that's a clone of my child. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say that this was in any sense a bad movie, but I do want to get into the nitpicky because what, what you just referenced, Ryan, is something that I nitpick. Um, the narration climax um, in Us is very similar to the Get Out climax. Um, and I feel like, I mean, if it's a format you're comfortable with and if it's a format that worked, it makes sense to redo. But I just felt like the narration was too much. When I heard the explanation of, we were clones, part of a way for government to control us, and then they sort of abandoned it, and now we live in the tunnels, and we copy everything that you do but underground. Uh, started making less and less sense as I thought about it, like the whole idea of 
Um, when you had a child, I had a child. When you had a C-section, I had to perform my own C-section. When did they stop being tethered to the point that everyone underground could go up? Because if they're still copying each other for all those 30 years, but they untethered during a dance when she was a child, I'm not really sure ex- exactly what's happening, but I might just be thinking too much into it. I agree. That I think is like the biggest kind of problem you could have with the movie. of like, well, when do they copy? When don't they? We see um, like Abraham. He kind of like pushes his glasses back up, even though he, do- he doesn't wear glasses. But then he and Winston Duke fight each other and he drags Winston Duke and like doesn't get dragged himself. Um, But then uh, Jason, the son and his doppelganger, Pluto, are like much more in sync. So I'm wondering if it's just like uh, as you get older kind of thing, like you have more control over like your own actions, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how I would explain it. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I think that's a valid kind of question of like, well, like, what are the rules? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to actually bring up uh, Jason and Pluto because there is that big scene where they're in front of the burning car and Pluto's going to kind of light that trail of gas on fire and it's going to kind of torch the whole family. And all Jason does to save them was kind of T-pose, hold his hands up and walk backwards. And Pluto imitates the whole thing where... Yes, as much as they were connected and, like, had a lot of similar kind of movements and quirks, they weren't done, like, in sync at many Mm -hmm. points in the movie that I can remember up till then. And that was the only thing that I felt was kind of, like, shoehorned in there just for the sake of the story because that was Red's chance to grab Jason because he ended right next to her. Yeah. Whereas she would have had to run up and grab him otherwise. To me, it was, like, Pluto was not comfortable with his independence. And, Mm -hmm. like, he wanted to keep following Jason because that's what he's known and didn't really know what to do if he had his um, free will, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it almost seemed like Pluto, in a way, to the tethered, was almost treated more as, like, a pet. Like, he kind of walked on all fours. And even in that first scene where they first get in the house, he kind of nuzzles up to Red like a cat rather than be standing there on his own and just kind of, like, doing his own thing. So I think as he realized, like, this is the person I'm connected to, it almost kind of came full circle in the sense that, like, he was genuinely connected. Like, he wasn't comfortable with his independence, but this was someone that could kind of, I guess, show him that. And I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) No, I think you guys bring up a really good point. And this could be the answer to the question of do the tethered have free will and... It seems like, yes, they do have free will, but maybe, like, they're just uncomfortable with it. Like, they don't like making their own decisions. And I think it comes from, like, the idea of they're just not complete because of the cloning process. Um, But I think um, that could easily be a sentiment of the theme of the story. Like, when we talk about people in poverty and people sort of make up excuses as to why not to help them. And they're like, well, they could have done this. They Mm -hmm. could have saved that. But what they are used to is the comfort of this, like, world or culture that they live in. And saving doesn't make sense to them. It's something that will just be lost on the next medical bill. It's something that could be stolen. Um, When people get their tax returns, they spend it. Because they know that if they don't, it'll just dwindle away over the course of the year during different opportunities. And they'd rather have one big experience. And, yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's such, like, a good point. And I just kind of want to say I think this is why we love movies like Get Out and Us. Because they're so intricate and well thought out and there's so many layers We could talk about that point for hours. We could talk about the free will of the tethered for hours. And so just kudos to Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited to watch his Twilight Zone reboot. And I'm excited to see what he does in the future because this genuinely was one of the best movies I've ever seen for all the reasons that we've talked about. 
That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next week where we talk about Russian doll and existentialism. If you liked us, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at two underscore bald men and find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcast and SoundCloud. Thank you all again. And if you are driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.